selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, what's up in your world? Not too much, man. That way you sounded really excited just now to be on this episode with me. I am excited to do the <laughs> podcast always. Because you know what's great about today is that we are going to be doing 51 different topics in 51 minutes <laughs> that is a lie <laughs> we are not doing that <laughs> we're not doing that no but we did get a lot of great feedback about our our 50 hot takes in 50 minutes episode which was great because it was super fun yeah that was a really cool unique episode i enjoyed doing it yeah uh I- i'm doing well i got nothing new i'm just just working and streaming i'm back home i've uh, successfully house sat for for matt aka stunlock ftw um nearly successfully i broke his trash can but you know that's neither here nor there uh how are you doing I'm doing very well. Summer is flying by. You texted me today like that the the M19 crash course was coming up and I was like, what? Really? This is basically our last Dominaria episode. We have, we're going to do a cube episode next week and then the week after is M19. That is insane. That's crazy. As you have said many times, I just feel like I'm scratching the surface of Dominaria 187 drafts deep and I still just feel like it's uh, new and exciting. Yeah, format is very deep. It's very deep. There's also Vintage Cube out, and that was the question last week was, Vintage Cube's coming out, are we playing Vintage Cube or Dominaria? What have you been doing? I was playing Dominaria initially, and then I one would and then I lost round one, and I was like, I don't want to finish this draft, and <laughs> I've been playing Vintage Cube since. <laughs> oh, okay, nice. So where are you at on the leaderboard? 
on the leaderboard, I am 73 drafts, 21 trophies, 140 and 73 for a 65.7% win rate in Dominaria. And Vintage Cube, I've got six drafts under my belt, one trophy, 11 and 7 overall record for a 61% win rate. How about you? I am 170 drafts deep. I have 55 trophies, four of those in competitive queues, though there's just no difference. I'm so over people saying anything other other than that. Uh, that's a 369 to 173 win-loss record for 68% win rate, and I've done five Vintage Cube drafts, one trophy, nine and six, 60% win rate. I'm not having as much fun with Cube this time around, are you? I have been enjoying myself. I've had a couple like bad losses and some clunky drafts, but it's fun. I mean, it's vintage cube. Yeah, it feels so like, I don't know. I, I, my one trophy was with a white weenie deck that I basically forced. And like, that's so funny. That was my trophy too. But like, that's not fun. Like, that's no, not fun not. to draft and that's not fun to play. And then so then I draft like busted stuff and I'm like scraping together two ones. Like That also feels stressful and bad. I don't know. Like, I'm like trying to balance like wanting to win and wanting to have fun and i feel like it's hard for me to do both in vintage cube but maybe that's just because i'm not good at drafting the busted stuff no i just think the busted stuff like maybe not as good my two best decks have one dude what i thought were my two best decks yeah it's interesting it is interesting well we're gonna have a really cool cube episode next week that we'll we'll give you a little hint about at the end uh, of the show today but before we get into everything else we have to talk about the patreon page we do have a patreon patreon.com slash lords of limited for those who don't know maybe you're not into the like whole kickstarter patreon lifestyle patreon is an awesome way for people to be able to give back to content creators who make content that is recurring so unlike kickstarter that is for something that like has an end date and it's sort of like a one-off thing something like a podcast isn't really about that it's you know we're creating something for our listeners each and every week Uh, And for people who want to give back, they can choose to support by supporting for each item that we give out to the listeners. So it's a really cool way you can do that. You can put a cap on what you donate every month, all that sort of stuff. And we try to give you some incentives to doing that. And the base level incentive is the Discord. Just for one dollar redue per episode, you get access to the Lords of Limited Discord. And that is the place to be. I mean, we've got some awesome limited minds there some crazy degenerates we've got people posting deck lists posting draft logs everyone just sort of like feeding off each other we're getting a ton of reps in because we've got our own sort of mini testing group there uh had some people day two the gp that was super fun had a lot of people uh you know, messaging us about their decks and the events that they were playing in Vegas this weekend. That was awesome. For some higher tier donations, you get access to our show notes, get a a visual representation of the episode, you get access to a pre-show recording, get to see how we are sort of like at the very end, like tailoring our show notes, figuring out how we're going to map out the episode, which might be a cool thing for you to hear. And we, of course, also want to shout you out on the show. So for our new patrons this week, we want to thank Malcolm, Chad, Tom, Lee, and Jack. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support means the world to us. Yeah, it is absolutely insane that we keep having new patrons each and every week. I keep thinking it's going to stop, and it never does. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You've absolutely jinxed it right now. Now you've jinxed <laughs> so it. Talk, now you've done talking it. Talking about a no-hitter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you haven't watched any of the, the GP Vegas coverage, but uh, I wanted to shout out Belangia Joe from our uh, our Discord who made day two, which is amazing. Made day two of his first GP in, in Vegas this weekend, which was awesome. Andrew Cuneo made the top four of the limited event, which was also awesome. I have to imagine that was basically because he got to talk to us uh, when he came on the show. I think so. We, t- we must have taught him everything he knows. 
I mean, I assume so. Uh, the beta draft, if you haven't checked that out, there was a Rochester draft of 24 beta boosters, which was wild to watch. I won't say anything because I know Ben hasn't watched it yet, but I highly encourage people to go watch the draft. It's very fun. That's my like this week in magic hot take there. We've got some trophy hype stats that we wanted to throw out here from uh, from the Discord. What do we got here, Ben? Yeah, so these were put together by Martini in our Discord. He's a member of the Discord, uh, and I think he was procrastinating on some work. So he put together a ton of stats for us here. Like we have a, a channel in the Discord called Trophy Hype where people can post 3 decklists. Um, and so he literally broke down color pairs for all of the trophies in the Discord trying to figure out, you know, a pattern or what colors seem to be doing better than others or trophying more often than others. I think this was sparked by Ben Stark came out with a, an article on Channel Fireball about how red black graveyard recursion grindy deck was like his he thought was the third best archetype in the format and I think a lot of people at least in our Discord who read that were like wait what because it's just like not a deck we've seen a lot I think or at least I haven't seen a lot and so I think this sort of sparked like a well what are people winning with here and like what is the aggregate of our stats here and we actually have a place where we have people post their 3-0 deck list so we just went and Martini went and looked through all of these to get some some stats here yeah so here they are in first place blue red surprise surprise 45 trophies and 244 total that we've posted and i don't think you and i are skewing the results that much uh we've we've not like you have like 60 some trophies 50 some trophies those are not all in here right i've barely posted my deck lists in in the trophy hype yeah i probably posted five of mine so 244 total trophies that have been posted in the lords of limited discord 45 of those are blue red second placed blue white at 40 third place blue black with 35 Green black in fourth place, 28. White black in fifth place with 27. Blue green, sixth place with 16. White green also 16. Red green, 11. Red white, 11. Red black, 6. Blue X, blue base with multiple colors, 4. White X, I assume that's white with multiple colors, 2. Red X, 2. And green X, 1. So red in the best archetype and the three worst, or like the winningest archetype and the three least winning archetypes, which I think is very interesting. I also think that this is similar to what the Pro Tour reflected in terms of like winning archetypes. Blue red was a number one there, blue red number one here, and blue white number two, blue white number two there. Green black was in number three at the Pro Tour, green black is in number four here, but I think that's like, you know, we're generally seeing like a blue is very powerful, green black is powerful. The white black being so high surprises me, I don't know about you. I feel like white black is the best aggro deck in the format, so that doesn't shock me that much. Like I, yeah. I, that's the color pair I want to be if I want to be aggressive. If I want to put a jousting lance in my deck, yeah. You keep talking about these aggro decks and these jousting lance <laughs> decks, and I just don't, I just don't get it. I mean, I'm sure it's right. I'm sure, I'm sure it exists. But those are, I think, super interesting, and maybe that gives you a sense of not only what these two fine gentlemen who just continue to force blue every draft are are winning with, but also what a lot of our listener base is winning with a lot of blue decks and green black and white black at the the top by a pretty big margin i mean that's a steep drop off from white black in fifth at 27 trophies to blue green and white green with 16 trophies yeah and i think it's also interesting i would say there might be some confirmation bias there you know with what we're recommending is trophying the most in our discord you know that would make sense except like it aligns with what happened at the pro tour which makes me just feel very good about it right yeah all right, so I wanted to take you through a roundtable that I thought was pretty interesting. It also had a, like a 
a really big, difficult decision at pick number four that I'm excited to talk through with you. So are you ready to take a seat at the round table, Ben? Absolutely. All right. So we're going to dive into, gosh, this might be our last Dominaria roundtable. That's so sad. Rest in peace. Yeah, very sad. All right. So cards in consideration here. Pack one, pick one. You've got Sapperling Migration. Uh, one and a green for the sorcery that makes two one ones. Has kicker four. And if you kick it, you make four one ones instead. There is an Untamed Kavu. One and a green for a two two. Has Vigilance and Trample. And if you pay the kicker cost of three, it enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it. Knight of Malice. One and a black for a two two with first strike. And Hexproof from white. And it gets plus one plus oh as long as any player controls a white permanent. And Haphazard Bombardment is your rare. Five and red for an enchantment. It ETBs, uh, you choose four non-enchantment permanents you don't control, and you put an aim counter on each of them. And then at the end of your turn, you destroy one of those permanents at random, as long as there are permanents with two or more aim counters on them. Yeah, so the last one sticks around. Right. So for me... I would rule out Sapling Migration pretty quickly. I still think Untamed Kavu is a better card than Sapling Migration, although Untamed Kavu has gone down for me and down for me and down for me. So between Kavu Knight and Haphazard Bombardment, I'm down enough on Kavu that I think I like Knight of Malice better than Kavu, and I think I would be rather be black than I would be green to start a draft out. Uh, I think Knight of Malice is one of the best two drops in the format. And then versus Haphazard Bombardment, I like Haphazard Bombardment quite a bit, but I'm not really into the idea of starting red if i can avoid it so i think between night and haphazard bombardment i would go for the night of malice yeah my argument is i don't feel like haphazard bombardment pigeonholes me in red i feel like it lets me do what like i can do whatever and if i grab a skittering surveyor i can splash it pretty easily because it's such a late game play so it feels like it's easily splashable and like i don't know it's early enough and it's powerful enough that i can maybe build around a little bit get some get a blink of an eye or a rescue try and try and go blue as i often want to so i i think the card is powerful enough here and i i grabbed it first over the the good two drop in night of malice yeah i could see it for sure yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's like a, that doesn't feel like a super contentious pick. For me, it's not particularly close, just because I think Bombardment is so much more powerful than Knight, but I just like can't fault you for taking what you said. It's one of the best two drops in the format. All right, pack one, pick two, you see the following cards. There is a Rampaging Cyclops, that's three and a red for the 4-4, four, four, uh, that gets minus two minus oh as long as two or more creatures are blocking it. There's a Coldwater Snapper, five and a blue for the 4-5 Turtle with Hexproof. Cloud Reader Sphinx, four and a blue for the three four Sphinx with flying and ETB scry two. Uh, there's a Valduk, if you want to stay red, I guess. Two and a red for a three two legendary creature. And uh, at the beginning of your combat step, you make a three one creature with trample and haste for each aura or equi equipment attached to Valduk. There's also a Thalid Soothsayer, three and a black for the two three fungus that has two sacrifice a creature draw a card. And Memorial to Unity, the green tap land that can pay two and a green to tap and sacrifice it to look at the top four five cards of your library pick a creature from among them and put that into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library yeah so there's a lot of good options here i think it's especially interesting for me with the knight of malice as the first pick because i think mm -hmm. death bloom salad really wants to go in the deck with knight of malice there's a very good black white you know proactive attack on the ground deck jousting lance type deal but i think for me i think cloud reader sphinx is enough better than all the other cards that we named that I'm supposed to pick it here and just keep myself open. We know blue is the best color at this point in the format. It's a premier common for blue, and I think I would snap it up here and just keep my options open. 
I took Sphinx as well. Moving on to pack one, pick three. We've got a Yavamaya Sapperd, two and a green for the 2-2 that ETBs and makes a 1-1 uh, Sapperling creature token. There's a Gitu Chronicler, one and a red for the 1-3 that has a kicker of three and a red, and if you pay the kicker when it ETBs, you get to rebuy an instant or sorcery from your graveyard. There's an Avon Sentry, three and a white for the 3-2 Flyer. Weight of Memory, three blue-blue, uh, draw three cards, and target player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. And Goblin Barrage, three and a red for the sorcery that deals four damage to target creature, and it has a kicker of sack an artifact or a goblin. Not many people remember the artifact portion of this, but you can sack an artifact or a goblin, and if you do, when you cast this card, you can deal four damage to target player or planeswalker. Yeah, this is another semi-interesting pack. I think Goblin Barrage is the best card. I think it's better than Gitu Chronicler mm-hmm. uh, at this point in the draft. But there's also Weight of Memory to go along with the Cloud Reader Sphinx that we just took. But I think that's, you know, at this point, I'm on Weight of Memory is much worse than Divination. Uh, I would mm-hmm. much prefer a Divination to Weight of Memory. So that makes me a lot less excited about it here. If it were Divination, it would be a little closer for me. For you, I think it's an easy Goblin Barrage since you've already got Haphazard Bombardment. For me, I think it's a sad Goblin Barrage uh, since I don't have any <laughs> red cards yet. So we've got one happy barrage and one sad barrage after pick three. Moving on to pick four, and this is what I thought was was a tough decision and one that I think warrants discussing. So uh, cards in consideration, you've got a Thalid Omnivore. That's the best black card. Three and a black for the 3-3 three, three Fungus. Pay one, sack another creature, and it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If the creature was a Sapperling, you gain two life. There's a Pegasus Courser, two and a white for the 1-3. Pegasus with flying, when it attacks, you can give another target attacking creature flying. A Seal Away, one and a white for the enchantment with flash. When it enters the battlefield, you can exile target tapped creature and opponent controls until Seal Away leaves the battlefield. And you've got three pretty strong green cards. There's Land War Elves, the one mana 1-1 one, one that can add green to your mana pool. Untamed Kavu again, and Mending of Dominaria as the rare. That's the saga for three green green. First two chapters, uh, you put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard, and then you can return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. And then the third chapter, you return all land cards from your graveyard to the battlefield, and then you shuffle your graveyard into your library. Yeah, this is a very tough pick, I think. For me, I'm like pretty sad looking at this pack so i've got a black card a blue card and a red card and there's not particularly good options in those colors like the best cards here are white and green Mm -hmm. so for me i mean seeing these three green cards here is a pretty huge green signal Uh, but at this point i wonder if the ship has sort of sailed on green at all like we passed a kavu and a sapperling migration we passed a memorial we passed a yavamaya sapherd pick three at what point is it too late to hop onto the green train so for me i think I might pick Seal Away here uh, and just put myself in my fourth color and just try to wait out this pack one and see see what comes for myself. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this before that like pack one and Dominaria can often feel like you're going to train wreck. And I think that just requires a little bit of patience and a little bit of like letting everyone else at the table settle around you and then your path will become clear generally in pack two and pack three. But yeah, I have, this is a, something that I don't know. Like we're pick four. There's three strong green cards. I would argue that like I mean, I guess Seal Away might be one of the best cards in the pack, but like Mending and Kavu and Elves are all up there as well. Is this a signal or is this just like a... There are a lot of things that I think about. One, is this a signal? 
feels like yes but the, there could just be like maybe there was just a bunch of green cards in the pack and someone i mean what could you take that's in green that's better than what's in this pack that seems unlikely but maybe it's just like a concentration of green cards and you're supposed to like wait this out i feel like i've seen that before like sometimes you just get a pack that has like a bunch of good cards in one color or a bunch of cards in one color but that doesn't necessarily mean that that color is open you know yeah I don't know. This is, was very hard to me, and I wanted to take Mending of Dominaria, but I was too scared about passing Kavu and Elves. And I know I often talk about, like, the signals you send don't really matter. It's the signals you receive, and this feels like a pretty big signal. But again, what you said, I sort of felt like the ship had sailed with all the green we had passed. So I took Seal Away as sort of a, like, this is also a splashable card. I don't need this. is not a committing pick at all. Um, so I grabbed that here and then felt pretty good when we got to pack one, pick five, where there wasn't really much else. I mean, there is a Sapperling migration here, and there's also a Syncopate. That's the blue X uh, instant counter-target spell unless the controller pays X. But there's a Gideon's Reproach, the one and a white instant to deal four damage to target attacking or blocking creature, which feels like the best card in the pack and a nice follow-up to Seal Away. Yeah, I certainly agree. I'm a little surprised that you didn't take Mending of Dominaria there, because uh, you seem to have a preference for like this three-color rug deck. You, know, you pick up a couple Grow from the Ashes, and you're totally set to go off. I totally agree. I was just, I, I mean, from what I said, I, I felt really nervous about taking Mending here and passing Kavu and Elves, which was basically solidifying at least the person on my left is going to be in green after that. And like, yeah, I know I only get like, this pack is basically halfway over. So I right. have to get good green cards in the next few picks and then i can probably guarantee i'm not going to get any green cards in pack two and then it has to be pack three it just felt i was too nervous about it maybe that's wrong but i i did end up not taking it yeah i certainly think it's a close pick it's very interesting the rest of the pack shook out with me taking some like derpy white and 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 blue cards and i ended up you know not being sad about passing those green cards i didn't think that that was the wrong decision here like green did not seem open the rest of that pack though i will say pack one pick 12 lana or elves Ooh, wow so what sort of a deck did you end up in um i think it's one of the decks that we're gonna look at later in the episode um but maybe not though um i ended up in a oh no now i'm scrolling through i ended up in a red white deck red white sort of like more assertive deck at tiana it had your boy jousting lance i don't think this deck went well i'm gonna check my record real quick two one okay two one that makes me feel fine <laughs> Ooh, i think i seem to remember this deck not doing super well i i unfortunately ended up main decking easter glider but then siding them out almost every time because that card is embarrassing card is so bad i can't believe i ever thought that card was better than academy drake yeah, that's embarrassing for us both. <laughs> so bad. We're moving on to our main topic here, and that is we're going to be talking about constructing mana bases in Limited. We had a, a number of requests for this topic, um, and I think it's one that is near and dear to both of our hearts, especially coming from playing a lot of cube and splish splashing around, probably me a little bit more than you. But building mana bases is something that I think both of us are quite strong at and think about a lot throughout the draft portion and the deck building portion, and is something that is a really important piece of the Limited puzzle. So the thing to think about is that building a mana base begins not in deck building, right? Where does it start? It starts in the draft. You have to be thinking from your very first pick, like what you want to be your main color, 
are you going to splash? How easy is it going to be to splash? Does your main color have heavy color requirements? Do your two base colors have heavy two color requirements? There's a lot going on in that draft portion. Yeah. And I think even before you start the draft portion, you probably, maybe if maybe not in the beginning of a format, but certainly after things have shaken out a little bit, you want to think about what is the typical number of lands for a deck in this format, right? Is this a 16, 17, or 18 land deck normally. Uh, like if we were in Amonkhet, I think 16 lands, maybe even 15 lands was like a norm for a lot of decks there. Rivals of Ixalan was probably more of a 17 land format. And I think we're now in an 18 land format with Dominaria. At least that's that's where you and I are at for sure. Yeah, I think 18 is the norm. I think 17 is the deviation from the norm and very rarely 16. So I think about that because that's also going to dictate like, you know, how I'm taking spells or, or lands as as spells. And do I feel like I'm going to be short on playables or, or flush with playables? That'll also dictate like sort of some of my how some of my picks will go in terms of taking a flyer on a card or taking a land over a spell, that sort of thing. Right. And I also think another thing you should know going into the format ahead of time is how easy is it to splash? And the answer in Dominaria is not that easy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> For example, like there's really only if you want to have good mana, the only two good ways to splash, in my opinion, are Skittering Surveyor and Grow from the Ashes. Mm-hmm. And and we sort of like feels like we joke about this a lot, but card draw is some amount of of fixing. Um, it's not certainly like a full. <laughs> No. Yeah, it's it is. I mean, it is like if you have three divinations in your deck, you're going to see more of your deck, so you're going to be more likely to hit your splash colors. That doesn't mean I'm like running two divinations and one mountain to splash a card for sure, but you know, card draw counts as like point two, like twenty percent of a source, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Having card draw in my deck makes me feel better when I have bad mana bases. That's how I justify it to myself. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So uh, we're going to throw out a number of points and we'll, uh, with those in conversation with, with some stats in terms of odds of when you may be hitting certain land drops, that sort of thing. So I think something to think about as you're drafting a deck is when you want to be casting spells. So let's think about this format has Llanowar Elves, right? That's a great, great one drop. Certainly in our opinion, better than we're on Team Elves over Team Migration. A deck with Llanowar Elves that doesn't have green as the primary color, it's going to be awkward. Um, I've seen a lot of decks in Discord sometimes get posted or on Twitter sometimes where people don't have green as their main color and they've got like two Llanowar Elves sitting in the one drop slot. Right. It's kind of awkward if you've got like seven forests hanging around. Like, yeah. what does that look like in terms of when you're drawing those lands in your deck? I think it's a little less punishing in this format because elves stays good in turns three through four or five, uh, but still sure. definitely not ideal. But so uh, we'll, we're going to take a look at some odds for Llanowar Elves here. Um, so there's an odds command if you're on Twitch, uh, if you've got MTGBot in your channel, that you can use to help you figure out probability of certain things happening, like based on the number of draws in your deck. So if you type exclamation point odds, it prompts you like for how to fill in the rest of the equation in case you ever forget. So the first number you need is the number of cards in your deck. The second number you need is the number of successes. So in this case, it's going to be all lands that we're talking about for the number of successes. And then the next number is the number of draws you have to find the cards you want. And then the last number, so you need four total numbers. The last number is the number of successes that you need to hit. So for example, if we're wanting to find the odds of hitting a forest in your opening hand with Llanowar Elves, if you've got nine forests in your deck, you would type exclamation point odds. 40 for the number of cards in your deck, 9 for the number of successes, so the forests are the successes, and then you would type 
seven for the number of draws you have because you get seven cards in your opening hand and then one would be the number of successes needed so you need one forest for your land or elves to be great in your opening hand and those odds come out to be 85 percent if you've got nine forests so that would be green being your base color nine forests typically uh, nine sources is what you want for your base color and that's pretty good odds there that is pretty good odds i mean you really want that to happen every time every time you have elves in your opener you want a forest or vice versa every time you have a forest you want elves because that's like the best thing you can do on turn one and 85 percent is pretty good i mean that still makes me sad that 15 percent of the time i'm gonna gonna not have my forest in that opener um but that hand might just end up being a mulligan anyway because i'm you know not hitting one of my main colors does that go down significantly if you're like running eight or seven or six forests in your deck yeah, it goes down a noticeable amount. And I think we should note, too, you brought up mulligans. These numbers are just assuming seven card openers and that they work. So these odds are not like hard and fast. They're going to give you a general ballpark of the idea of your odds, though. But th- those get changed by things like card draw or ops in your deck or mulligans, et cetera, et cetera. So when you go down to eight sources, you're at 82% as opposed to 85%. And with only seven, you're at 77%. So almost, you know, a fourth of the time, you're not going to be able to cast that elves turn one. That's pretty bad. Yeah, it's not great. 25% is a lot. I mean, we're playing a game that is, or we're trying to get at the like the most smallest of edges because it's a game that is heavily influenced by variants. So that does not make me excited to uh, to whiff on my turn one elves 25% of the time. But we're not only talking about like just dropping, you know, elves on turn one in terms of mana bases. We're also talking about just like general considerations for the mana requirements of your deck. So w- what do we mean by that? Yeah, sometimes you're going to have double-colored cards in Dominaria. Sometimes you're going to have triple-colored cards. Yeah. So, for example, you know, you take a card like Merfolk Trickster. You know, if you've got a blue-green deck with you've got Merfolk Trickster and a Steel Leaf Champion, that's like a huge demand on your mana because both of those cards are very color-committing. It's impossible to curve out with those cards. And yeah, like Dominaria is not a curve-out format. Merfolk Trickster is not necessarily like best on turn two. But often you want to like cast your spells on time, you want to play your creatures, you want to be mana efficient. It's really hard to set up a mana base where playing both, both Merfolk Trickster and Steel Leaf Champion is going to be profitable for you. Yes, I agree completely. And sometimes even double color commitments on turn four from both colors can be tricky. It feels like there's a lot of good cards in this format that cost four mana that have double colored requirements. So for example, Kelden mm-hmm. Raider is that two red, red, four, three. There's Settle the Score in black with two black, black to exile a creature. There's Blink of an Eye that you really want to cast on turn four uh, with Kicker that costs two blue, blue when you kick it. Sometimes that leads to really awkward mana bases if you've got two colors with multiple four drops that have two double colored requirements from different colors. Yeah, it's really tough. So when you get things like that, we want to look at the odds of hitting two sources by turn four. So if we've got Kelden Raider in our deck, the odds of hitting two mountains by turn four on the play with nine mountains in our deck is 73%. That's not high. I mean, generally, I feel like my default is to have to go 10 sources for my main color most of the time, especially in this format where I feel like 18 lands is is the default. I'm often doing a 10-8 split when my deck is just two colors. And in before, everyone is like, but you never play two color decks. But yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) But if I were to play a two color deck, 10-8 would probably be my like general split. Um, And you can see even here, like nine mountains... Trying to get two of those by turn four, only 73%. And that goes down significantly. With eight mountains, it's only 66%. Seven is 57 And then, I mean, you just can't play Kelden Raider in a deck with six mountains. That's 47%. You're going to not be able to cast that on curve more often than not. That's pretty terrible. 
Yeah. And I think that that also rolls into the point of, you know, I've seen some pictures in Discord of people trying to splash, quote unquote, doubled colored cards. You just can't do that. Even with six sources, I do not feel good about a double colored card. I think my bare minimum is seven for a double colored card. And even then, I'm like doing it with the understanding that my mana is not good. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, yeah, I've done it, but it's not <laughs> often. It's not often. And I also, it's sort of, this is an interesting format where that's the, that is brought up because there are not often cards that I want to splash for that are double colored. Like, sure, there's like Lyra Dawnbringer or Demon Lord Bells and Lock. Or Multani. Yeah, there's a Multani. I mean, they exist, but I feel like the powerful, the more, the things that you're going to see more often that are powerful are going to be like removal spells or the, the uncommon cycle of, of legendary creatures that I think are fairly easy to splash and, and have a, as, as significant an impact or nearly as significant of an impact on the game as maybe those those big splashy rares. But like it's just such a, a danger to your deck to just like run four planes and try and play Lyra. And, got, and, and what if you don't have any fixing? Like what if you don't even have a skittering surveyor to go fetch it up or something? Right, yeah, just pretty rough. And so, and so to illustrate that point, like we've got the odds of hitting two mountains by turn seven on the draw with six mountains in your deck. So that's exclamation point odds 46, 14. You've got seven draw steps after your opening hand and needing two of those. And you're only doing it 70% of the time. And that's by turn seven. Sometimes games end on turn seven, turn eight, turn nine. That means 30% of the time, you're just not able to cast that card and you're probably contorting your mana base to try to cast that card. And that's just still with six of the sources in your deck. Yeah, we're not even talking about like taking into account what number of times do you like open a hand that is garbage or like like draw mana sources of, of one color that don't match up with the spells of your other color, that sort of thing, which is definitely going to happen when you're contorting your mana base, as you said, with so many different colors for just one card. I, I do want to bring up as we get into like splashing for one source of a thing that green is at a trend in the past few sets of these cards that can produce two sources of mana which is awesome it's so awesome so there was gift of paradise in amonkhet it was an enchant land and the enchanted land could tap for two mana of the same color so like you know double red or double black whatever and so there were decks in that where like you had three of those and then you could just play anything you could splash Glorybringer because you had these three things that allowed you to splash the double red that Glorybringer uh, required. The next set after that, our devastation had um, the Oasis Ritualist. Oasis Ritualist, thank you. Uh, which was a, a two four for four that you could exert and tap it to do the same thing, basically. It could tap for two colors of, of any one mana color. Now, Grow from the Ashes kind of does that. Kind of. So if you had three Grow from the Ashes and two planes in your deck, then I feel like we might be getting into a territory where splashing Lyra was okay. Would you agree? I would agree with that, but I think that's few and far between in this format. And that was new in Magic with uh, Gift of Paradise and Oasis Ritualist. That had never happened mm-hmm. before, and it was really right. cool. And I think maybe people just sort of got in the habit of jamming these double-colored cards in their deck, and it's not <laughs> as easy to do in this format. No, not at all. Talking about that, going into... Well, when you're building your deck, where we're talking about mana-based building starts with drafting. So as you're drafting, are you trying to splash? And how many sources do you need to splash? So let's start with a simple splash. Let's say you're in green-black and you want to splash Tatiova. It's a powerful card, only requires one blue pip, as we, we say, or blue source. So the general rule of thumb is three sources 
for like one requirement of the color. So you've got Tatiova, you need that's just you only have to play pay blue once for that card. So having three sources is pretty good. If you have absolutely no fixing in this format, I have been fine running just like two islands in that scenario and doing something like an 8-8 split, like eight swamps, eight forests, two islands, and re- relying on some card draw or card selection as fixing for the third source. Well, so in that scenario, you'd probably be base blue, right? And you'd be splashing the green, maybe, and have sure, divinations. Sure, blue, black, splash green. Yeah, have a couple yeah. divinations or dark bargain or something, some way to, to churn through my deck. Even like a Cloud Reader Sphinx or an Opt as, as card selection ways to dig yourself deeper. Those all sort of count as some small percentages, but do count as, I think, ways towards your fixing. But I would never just run like one forest to splash Tatiova. That just seems crazy to me. So I have a question for you about that 882 yeah. and some card draw. Would you classify that as a good mana base? No. Well, 882 and some card draw, I would not classify it as a bad mana base. I would say it was acceptable. Like that would be the word I would use. Yes. Acceptable is a great word. It's acceptable. I feel like the risk of, I I guess what I should say is the risk for running those two forests, which it is a risk, is balanced out or outweighed by the reward of running a powerful card like Tatiova. Yeah. So I think when you're making that decision, what you want to do is think about like how you one, you are impacting your mana base, right? It's acceptable, as Ben said. But what is the power level of the thing you're splashing? Is it as impactful as I think we all think Tatiova is? Or are you like contorting your mana base for some conditional removal like a Shivan fire off of like two mountains? Like I would not do that. I wouldn't like just jam two mountains in my deck so I could get one more removal spell, you know? Right. So let's take a look at some odds for splashing. So your odds of hitting one of your splash lands off of three sources. So maybe that's three lands. Maybe it's one land and two skittering surveyors, whatever it is. So you need to hit your one land. You've got three sources by turn six on the draw or turn seven on the play, however you want to think about it. So your odds are you type exclamation point odds 40, then three, then 13, then one. That gives you a 70% chance of finding one of those three sources by turn six, turn seven ish. Uh, which is pretty good. And, you know, and that's the rule of thumb. More mm-hmm. often than not, you're going to be finding that splash source by turn six, turn seven, which is about generally when you would ex- be expecting to be able to cast your splash card. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a little lower than I would have thought by turn six, turn seven. That makes me sad. Yeah, that splashings are very real cost. And then if you take a look, if you go up to four sources, that moves up to 81% by turn six, turn seven. And if you've only got two sources in your deck, and let's say, so card draw is obviously not factored in here, but if you've only got two sources by turn six, turn seven, you're only 55% to hit. And I can't imagine card draw pushes that up much more than like 60, 65%. No, it's a real cost and you won't often have that. That's why I think those sorts of like really awkward splashes are, are only meant for like the things that you're gonna when when I feel like when I play Tatiova, if they don't just immediately kill it, I'm probably gonna win the game. So that's a card that I feel like is is worth that impact on my mana base, you know? Or a card that like you don't mind playing later than that. Like I'm not dead in the water if I can't curve out with Tatiova, you know? Or like I'm not dead in the water if I can't curve out with haphazard bombardment. It's probably even better to play it later in the game, assuming I'm not dead by then. For this reason, dual lands become great picks for your drafts, right? If you can end up running them because they free up, they count as a source of your main color and a source of your splash color. If you can find one that overlaps with your main color, or if you're in the double splashing realm, which we'll take some looks at decks that do that later. So maybe say your base blue green and you get a red black dual land and you're splashing a red card and a black card. That one land counts as sources for your red cards and your black cards, which is super, super powerful. Yeah, it does double duty in terms of like, 
if you're and like let's talk about like if we're black green splashing blue if you have a black green dual land then that frees up that counts as both the swamp and a forest when you're counting up your mana and then that frees up spots for you to run an island or vice versa if you're black green splash blue and you get a green blue dual land well then that's basically a quote-unquote free source of blue mana it's Really, like that's why the duels I think are so valuable in this format. And we say free because it's not at a cost to your other mana, right? It's not impacting your other mana negatively. That's why it's free. Exactly. Thank you. It's, you're doing much better at this, of like really breaking down <laughs> the like terms we're talking about. I'm like everyone knows what I mean when I say free, right? We're splash splashing around. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. We're talking about like as we draft the cards, like thinking about what the color requirements for your spells are, and I think that's not only about like what their cost is in terms of like Kelden Raider is two red red but also at what point in the game do you want to cast them because yes yeah, settle the score two black black to exile a creature for sorcery is a four drop but like it's a very powerful removal spell and perhaps not one that you're like dying to fire off on turn four whereas blink of an eye is something that you probably want to be able to cast on turn four if you can because it's just such a great play early on it provides you with tempo and card advantage and all that good stuff um so i think thinking about when you're trying to cast your cards is a good thing to think about while you're drafting and you'll see some people separate creatures or permanents from their spells from their removal spells because those i think can often skew what you think your curve is or what you think your color requirements are because you may have a lot of like cheap black removal say like a a bunch of vicious hungers and and a cast down but you're not trying to fire those off on turn two right you want to have those later on so maybe you can play those you have a lot of things that look like they're black two drops but realistically blue is going to be your base color and black is still your secondary color which you'll have fewer sources of because those two drops aren't actually two drops in your deck yeah that makes absolute sense to me i think the other thing you need to keep in mind when you're building your mana bases is how important is it for you to hit your third land drop your fourth land drop your fifth land drop for your deck and that's going to impact the number of lands you run and that's sort of in the beginning of a format the types of questions you need to be asking yourself to sort of try to determine whether it's a 16 land 17 land 18 land format and i think in dominaria we can agree that you know hitting your fifth land drop on time is crazy important as is hitting your third on time hitting land drops is one of the best things you can do in this format in my opinion i think that third land drop threshold is really important because of the presence of grow from the ashes and skittering surveyor as well and divination right and divination yeah that's so true because it feels like once i get to that then that like unlocks the next level of my deck I either can like go find lands or go dig for more cards. Absolutely. So let's take a look at some odds. So your odds of hitting your third land drop on time in an 18 land deck are 88%. In 17 land deck, it goes down to 84%. And in a 16 land deck, it goes down to 80%. So you got pretty good odds at all three of those for your third land drop. But I feel much better about 88 than I do about 80. And I think when that really comes into play is when you get that two lander. You get, you see that like two lander and skittering surveyor opener on the play. I'm like, I'm going to get there. And I feel so much better about that with 18 lands. I do as well. Uh, And then when we take a look at your fourth land drop on time in an 18 land deck, that happens 76% of the time. In a 17 land deck, 70% of the time. And in a 16 land deck, only 64% of the time do you hit your fourth land drop on time. That is low. Yeah, that is really low. Wow. That makes me just never want to run 16 lands ever in any any format. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then when we take a look at your fifth land drop in an 18 land deck, you're only 62% to hit your fifth land drop on time. In a 17 land deck, it's 55%. And in a 16 land deck, it's 47%. 
all of those were like extraordinarily low. I wonder if that's what leads me to think that like just because I've got some land war elves or some girl from the ashes or a skittering surveyor that I often am still running 18 lands even if I have extra mana producers because I want to get to five lands on turn five. I want to have five sources on for turn five a lot of the time in my decks in this format. Yeah, and the last format I can really remember being an 18 land format was Cons of Tarkir, right? And there you mm-hmm. wanted to hit your fifth land drop on time because that was like the the critical amount of mana you needed to flip your morphs right so that they could eat something else like that was the threshold like once you got to five mana your morph could eat other creatures Mm -hmm. so we're talking about color requirements we talked about like you know do you want to be splashing how that is going to impact your mana base i think another thing that impacts it is do you have mana sinks and there are Oh, maybe not a lot, but we can think of like Slimefoot the Stowaway and Rona, Disciple of Gix and Precognition Field uh, or just some some mana sinks that I can think of off the top. And those are definitely going to lead me to skew my deck to the more land side of things. Um, But even if we're thinking about a a set that doesn't have 18 lands as what we consider the default, that may skew you to run more lands than you're used to or more lands than the norm if you feel like you have a lot of places to put that mana. Yeah, I think the other thing to take into consideration is do you have non-land that create mana? Do you have land war elves? Do you have card like Grow from the Ashes? That can impact the number of lands you play. If I've got, you know, two to three land war elves, I'm much more likely to run 17 land as opposed to 18 and break from that norm of mm-hmm. 18 lands. Are there cards that specifically want you to run more lands? Like if you've got Lanowar Scout, that's the one on a green 1-3 that can tap to put a land from your hand into play. That's gonna like that's not really like ramp. I mean, it's it's not uh, an extra mana source, but it is ramp. But it's only gonna be ramp if you've got more lands to to dump into it. So that's gonna make me want to probably run some more lands. Tatiova is a card that really wants you to continue to hit land drops late in the game. All these things like mana sinks or color requirements or things that care about lands. Those are all things that are gonna skew me towards playing more lands. Yeah, I think another factor to consider is is your deck more assertive or is it grindier? especially in considering tapped lands. So you might find that lands that come into play tapped are fine in decks that are more controlling and maybe more dangerous in assertive decks where you're trying to curve out, and that's very important. Do you have flood insurance? That's another question to ask yourself. If not, you might want to run fewer lands than you're planning on running. Yeah, so we're thinking not only about like color requirements, but what are the games going to look like when they play out? What are the, the cards in our deck going to do? What is the plan of the deck? And how is the mana base supporting that plan? I think that's sort of what all of this is about. So we we took a screenshot of a, a handful of our decks uh, that we wanted to run through a little bit here to talk about like maybe what led us down the path of building the mana bases as we did um, for some some two color decks and some two color decks with some splashes uh, and maybe some some five color nonsense decks. Who knows? So Ben, what do you got for us? So before we take a look at this deck, just a quick note to everyone that. These imager links will be available you know, in our show notes if you're a patron, but also if you're not a patron, we'll have in the link where you download the podcast on iTunes or whatever, where there's information about the episode, there will be links to the imager things there so that you can follow along as well. So everyone will have access to these imager links. So when I take a look at this first deck, uh, this is a stereotypical blue-white deck. It's a control deck, uh, heavier base blue, and just sort of some cards that stand out that really impacted my mana base were Tempest Jin. Uh, in the three drop slot at blue, blue, blue. So triple blue card. 
and Sarah Angel as, as a white card that was double white that I really wanted to be able to cast, but didn't have very many white cards in the deck total, only six white cards. But that Sarah Angel being double white really sort of dictated how many planes I had to play. So with all that in mind, I had 18 lands because I was sort of a controlling deck, really wanted to hit my land drops, had some places to put my mana, a precognition field as a mana sink, some syncopates that really wanted me to have more mana than my opponent. So I ultimately settled on 10 islands, uh, which gave me, you know, a decent chance to cast my Tempest Gin on turn three, probably like 55% or something like that, if I remember correctly. And then I had eight planes, one of which was a Memorial to Glory. So seven planes and a Memorial to Glory. That's the white Memorial. And that was so that I could cast Sarah Angel on time on turn five. And I think if I really wanted to be a little greedier, I could have maybe gone 11 blue seven white sources, but that would have made the Sarah Angel a little more difficult to cast, but it would have made the Tempest Gin better. Uh, so just sort of a little bit of a trade-off there. The next two color deck that we're looking at is a uh, one that I had, which is sort of, sort of a, a black-green good stuff deck. Uh, you could say maybe black-green legends. I do have one Yawgmoth's Vile offering with, uh, with four legends. And I actually am looking at this deck and uh, thinking that I did not build this mana base correctly. I skewed this to nine swamps, eight forests. And the reason that I think that that was incorrect uh, was because of a card called Territorial Allosaurus. So this was uh, this is the two green, green, five, five, and it has kicker for two and a green. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, it can fight a creature that your opponent controls if it was kicked. And really wanting to have triple green on turn seven, when I would be able to kick this, or when I had seven mana available. And I do have a Skittering Surveyor in the deck, and an Elfheim Druid in the deck, which helps with that kicked cost there. But I do remember some times where I had five swamps and two forests in play with this deck. So I think skewing that a little bit, because I'd only have a couple cards that are double black, and they're only at the top end. That's Urgaros, the Empty One, and Torgar, Famine Incarnate. But the rest of my black cards were mostly removal spells, a couple of vicious offerings, and a fungal infection early. So this deck was really more skewed towards green, even though I think that when I, if I were to separate the piles into like how many black cards, how many green cards, it looks like I have more black cards than green cards. So that's probably why I'd ended up going 9-8. But I think after playing with the deck, uh, which was very successful, um, but I, I definitely would have made that, that one tiny swap there. So this also looks sort of like an 18 land deck to me. Can you run me through why you only chose to run 17? I have an Elfame Druid and a Skittering Surveyor. I have nowhere to really like put mana other than Kicker. And I have Dark Bargain as my only card that gives me flood insurance. I was just really worried about, and it's such a small margin. And I do have, my, I mean, Ben is looking at this deck. We've got six four drops, five five drops, two sixes, and Torgar is not really an eight drop, but... It is an eight drop in the image. So, you know, I definitely want to curve out, but I I felt like after I hit my lands, I had nothing to do with them. And so I was really nervous about like flooding out. So I opted for 17 with the Druid and the Surveyor. Certainly if I didn't have those sources in creatures, I would have gone 18. Okay, very cool. Next deck we want to take a look at here is another two color deck. This is another blue-white deck of mine. Shocker, I know. Um, <laughs> so this is a little bit more of a stereotypical proactive blue-white tempo flyers deck. And I think this one's interesting because I initially built this deck with a splash. And then after playing it, just realized I was not supposed to be splashing. Just because I had the ability to splash didn't necessarily mean it was correct. So the deck is really like it's all commons and uncommons. There's not a lot of heavy color requirements at all. My only double colored blue card is Weight of Memory. It's got some flyers, some Academy Drakes, triple Avon Sentry, but it's got a normal good looking curve. We've got seven two drops, six three drops, three four drops, three five drops, a six drop, and then a couple syncopates hanging out. 
So the mana base that I went with was eight islands and nine planes. I'm a little heavier on white cards. All my two drops are white. And one of those planes is a memorial to glory. But again, I don't have a lot of mana sinks, uh, which is why I chose to run 17 lands. My only places to put mana really I have a blood tallow candle that wants six. I have an excavation elephant with kicker, but uh, an academy drakes with kicker, but that's it. Uh, not, not any sort of mana sinks or places to dump mana. And the way I initially had the deck built, because uh, I thought I was a little low on power level, was I have an Adelise, uh, the Cinderwind, and a Joda sitting in the sideboard, and I had a Sulphur Falls that I drafted. And so, you know, I could play the Sulphur Falls and then have two mountains. And so in choosing to splash those two cards with Adelise and Joda with that Sulphur Falls, my mana base was considerably worse. It would have been eight white sources, seven blue sources with the Sulphur Falls counting as one of those seven blue sources, and then two mountains because I had no Skittering Surveyors or any other way to splash, which is a real cost to my deck. Those two mountains were terrible. As we saw from our odds earlier, I'm not always guaranteed to get to play Adelise and Joda on time. And Adelise was not super special in my deck. I didn't have any wizards really floating around at Telerian Scholar and a Journey Mage. That was it. So they were essentially just sort of vanilla flyers that I was splashing for, which is not really where you want to be. So the correct thing, I think, was actually to just play a very good mana base here, play slightly less powerful blue and white cards, and just make sure I had good mana that let me cast my spells on time. And I also uh, resisted splashing an Eldest Reborn here with no fixing, because I think it was just, again, too big of a cost to my mana base to run something like seven blue, seven white, three black, which is what you really need to be able to do to cast the Eldest Reborn reliably at all. Next up, we want to take a look at two colors with a light splash. Um, so the deck I've got here is basically a, a near mono blue slash brown deck with a, a touch of black and a, and a wee bit of white. Um, and I think the card that really unlocks this for us is Isolated Chapel, which is the white-black dual land. So um, Raph Capuchin is my only white card, and then Rona, Whisper, and Eldest Reborn are my three black cards. The rest of the deck is blue or artifacts. So I lean... I sort of treated Raph as a normal splash with three white sources for one card. So I have a Plains, a Chapel, and a Skittering Surveyor. And then for my three black cards, I sort of treated it as like a heavy splash. So I've got five swamps, the Chapel, and the Surveyor. And that allowed me to really guarantee that I could play those those cards on time, uh, but not significantly impact my mana base of having, it uh, looks like, 11 or 10 islands here because I do have a Tempest Gin in the three-drop slot. Right. So you have 11 sources. I do, I do have 11 sources of blue there with, with the surveyor or without? Without the surveyor. You have 12 with the surveyor. Yeah. So I really wanted to have, you know, I've got triple blue with Tempest Gen. I've got double blue for Weight of Memory. But I think in this scenario, you can choose to be a little bit more generous with the, the mana to the three black cards and, and treat it as close to a second color as possible, uh, rather than treating white and black as both splashes in this deck. Yeah, I think that's correct, because your black cards are very powerful, and being able to cast them on time is just going to increase their power level. Yeah. All right, next up, this is one of my decks. This is a base blue-red deck with a white splash. This deck was super powerful. I'm just kind of grinning looking at it again here. This was a pleasure <laughs> to play. Uh, so the way I had to splash, my only fixing uh, was Skittering Surveyor. But the white cards I was splashing were Raph Capuchin, my boy. I'm jamming Raph in every deck I possibly can. And a Tiana to have another flyer, just as a powerful flying, 3-3 flying first strike. No real equipment synergies going on there. But it does uh, provide another historic trigger for Joyra, which is in your deck. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Joyra's in this deck as well, floating around. There's a fight with fire. This deck is awesome. <laughs> so... As far as sources, I'm base blue. 
I have nine islands in the deck plus Skittering Surveyor, which gives me 10 blue sources. And as far as double blue cards, I've got Blink of an Eye, Merfolk Trickster, Weight of Memory. But other than that, no double blue. So I feel very good about that with 10 blue sources. And then as far as red cards in the deck, I didn't have a ton of red cards, but I did have some double red requirements. So I only had six red cards, but Fight with Fire that I wanted to be able to kick with double red and Gitu Chronicler that I wanted to be able to kick with double red. So I had seven mountains in the deck plus Skittering Surveyor, which got me to eight red sources, which is where I feel eight sources is where I feel good about uh, if I've got double colored cards that I want to cast. And both of those are fairly late game cards, the Fight with Fire and the Gitu Chronicler. And then my two white cards that I was splashing, Raph, Capuchin, and Tiana, I had two planes and a Skittering Surveyor. So three sources for those two cards, which is fine. Again, I would say that's acceptable. I would say it would be starting to be towards the good end if you had four sources for two splash cards. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with your decision to run 18 lands in this deck. Um, but I feel like I often get questions about 18 lands with the kinds of cards that you have. So let's take a look. So you've got Skittering Surveyor, which is a source of mana. You've got Double Voldalian Arcanist, which is not a source of mana for a lot of your cards, but for a handful of your cards it is. You've got Divination for card draw. You've got Weight of Memory for card draw. You've got Cloud Reader Sphinx for card selection. You have Karn for card draw. Joyra provides you card draw. Gichu Chronicler is sort of like, I guess, maybe card advantage, not card draw. But I often get people saying that card draw is something that you may want may make you want to run less lands is that something that you feel as well i feel the opposite of that i feel like the more card draw i have so in general i want to run more lands if i feel like i have the opportunity to do that because that's going to make me get land screwed less often and then Mm -hmm. as far as flooding out you know, the more card draw I have, the more comfortable I feel running 18 lands because I'm going to have card draw to get me through flood. Like, yeah, I might end up with 10 lands, but I'm also drawing action off those card draw. And that's going to let me double spell as well. So the more card draw I have, the more I want more lands so that I can cast the card draw and maybe cast another relevant spell in the same turn. Yeah, when I have card draw like that, I feel like the thing that Let's when I have card draw and powerful cards to dig towards, I feel like the thing I'm gonna lose to the most is mana screw. So I just yeah. like don't wanna give myself the opportunity to do that or give myself the least amount of opportunity for that to happen. I agree completely. You've got another deck here that's uh, another like two color, maybe with a, a heavier splash here or a lighter splash. What do, what do you got here? Yeah, this is a few more splash cards. So this is another base blue-white deck uh, with a red splash. <laughs> That's a common theme in my decks. I went through a phase. <laughs> I was re-looking through all my trophies uh, in preparation for this episode, and there's a chunk of my trophies in the middle of the draft format that are just stone blue-white. <laughs> I just like decided I was playing blue-white every time. So this is another base blue-white deck with a red splash. So I've got, uh, as far as ways to fix mana, the only fixing I have is Skittering Surveyor, and then I've got a couple ops to help me filter a little bit. So I have eight blue sources in the deck, uh, one of which is a memorial to genius. So that gives me nine total blue sources with a skittering surveyor. Uh, my only double blue cards are Zahid and Blink of an Eye and Merfolk Trickster. So feel fine on blue sources there. And then as far as white cards, I only have six white cards in the deck. Adamant Will, Knight of Grace, Knight of Nubanalia. So a few two drops there. Quende, On Sarah's Wings, and Tiana. And so for those six white cards, I've got eight white sources so seven actual lands plus the skittering surveyor gives me a total of eight and then i have three red splashes which is tiana shivan fire shivan fire 
So double Sheevan fire. So for those three cards, I have four sources, uh, three mountains plus the Skittering Surveyor. So 18 total lands. This deck was very mana hungry. Again, I had the ops to help filter my deck. I felt like the only thing I was going to lose to was not having the right color requirements. So this had, and the greedier, that's another point. The greedier your mana is, the more I want to run 18 lands because that extra land slot gives you an extra source to help Mm -hmm. avoid color screw and things like that. So four sources then for those three red cards, which again is not great, but I think is acceptable. Like generally, I think I'd want five sources for three cards. So I was skimping a little bit here uh, and sort of had the ops maybe to help ease my mind that I could maybe scry red cards to the bottom when I didn't have a mountain. So that was sort of the gist of that deck. And then sort of another heavier splash. This is another deck of mine uh, that doesn't have good mana. This is yet again, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed saying this, another base blue white deck, uh, this time with a black <laughs> splash. So just looking at the deck here, the black splash that I felt like I really needed for power level, uh, I have an eviscerate and the eldest reborn. And the eviscerate is my only removal spell outside of a blue in Bolas's clutches. And then, you know, sort of a base, normal blue white build, some divinations, some creatures, and on Sarah's wings, uh, in Bolas clutches as my standout double blue card, and a Sarah angel as my standout double white card. So I have eight islands, feel pretty good about with my eight islands. I only have seven planes, so not feeling great about seven white sources for that Sarah Angel. And I have two drops that are white uh, that are going to be hard to cast with only seven planes in my deck. And then three black sources for that Eviscerate and the Eldest Reborn. So this, I would say, is an example of a deck that does not have a very good mana base. And I was just sort of hoping to get there with the mana on power level because I felt like I really needed the Eldest Reborn and Eviscerate to make my deck tick. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I'm also looking at your sideboard and seeing like what options you have, and you don't have a ton of other options. I mean, you could have cut them for just some blue filler cards, but sometimes you just gotta put in the the three sources and pray a little bit. Well, but I and I think I also important to note I went into this knowing that my mana base was not good. I made that decision right. knowing that sometimes I was going to get punished by my color sources. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to take a look at a deck that is two colors with a double splash here. And this deck is just a real peach. I encourage you to, <laughs> to take a look at it. So we've got 18 lands here, or 18, uh, yeah, 18 lands uh, with a Memorial to Genius included in there. So we're base green-blue. Uh, we've got a Hinterland Harbor, so that's the green-blue dual land. And we're running one Plains and one Swamp. And our splash cards are, we're running an On Sarah's Wings and a Raph Capuchin as our white splash, and we're running a Rona and a Slimefoot the Stowaway as our black splash. We are running a bunch of fixing as well, two Grow from the Ashes and a Skittering Surveyor, and I do have 18 lands with two Ant Llanowar Elves, a Vodalian Arcanist, and the two Grows and the Skittering Surveyor. So a lot of ways to create mana, but a lot of places to put mana as well. Got a ton of card draw with Blink of an Eyes, uh, Mending of Dominaria, Tatiova, Weight of Memory, and we've got the two best mana sinks in the format in Rona and Slimefoot. I really loved this deck. I, this is, a, I think, a really good example of like, yeah, I've got two Elves, two Grows, and a Surveyor, and I still wanted 18 lands, and I was never flooded, like tapping out every turn. Uh, this deck was was really really a treat yeah and despite having a double splash this deck has excellent mana right excellent with the two growth in the ashes and the surveyor you have four white sources for your two white splash cards you have four black mm-hmm. sources for your two black splash cards with just one planes and one swamp which frees your green and blue mana up to still be great 
at first glance here, it looks like you have 10 green sources with the Skittering Surveyor and the Llanowar Elves, and you still have eight plus blue sources with the Skittering Surveyors and the Grow from the Ashes. So your mana had to be yeah. insanely good here. Yeah, it was a fantastic mana base. I mean, this is one of the reasons that I think Surveyor is just the best. It just opens you up to being able to, to do these busted things when they come together. Right. And Surveyor and Grow from the Ashes being the key cards here that allowed your mana to be very good despite double splashing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you take those three cards away and I can't do any of this nonsense. I just can't. I just have to be base green blue, basically. Maybe I can, like, splash one thing if I think, like, playing Slimefoot is important or something, but becomes really difficult if you don't have those those fixers. I've also got a pretty spicy brew here uh, with a double splash. So this is a base black green deck, sort of, and I'm splashing white and red. So my white splash cards are Shalai, Voice of Plenty, and Arvad the Cursed. My red splash cards are two Garna the Blood Flames. My mana is different than yours. I have no grow from the ashes, no skittering surveyors. So you might be asking yourself, well, that sounds bad. <laughs> like, how are you going to make this <laughs> mana work? I do think this deck still had good mana. So I, I ran 18 lands and I had a Navigator's Compass. This was my first foray into Navigator's Compass territory because Navigator's Compass was a source of black, green, white, and red then, which is where it really starts to pay you off when you're in the four to five color territory. So I had a lot of double black cards in the deck. I had Kazarov, Demon Lord, Belzenlock, Settle the Score as double black cards. Uh, my green cards were mostly single green, so it didn't need a ton of green lands. And then the splash cards were, you know, tricky. So as far as black sources in the deck for all my double black cards, I had eight swamps plus Navigator's Compass to give me my nine sources. Uh, and one of, those, one of those black sources was a Woodland Cemetery, so a black green duel there. Uh, that really helped my mana out. And then in green, I only had five green cards, but they were all early plays. So I still had seven green sources, six forests in the Woodland Cemetery, plus the Navigator's Compass to give me eight. And then two plains and two mountains. So the two plains plus the compass gave me three sources for my two white splashes. Two mountains plus compass gave me three sources for the two Garnas. And then, you know, basically when I would play Navigator's Compass, I was just it was, first of all, Navigator's Compass was the best card in the deck because the mana was so sketchy, but not when Navigator's Compass was in play. And there were times when my opponent had artifact destruction and I was just praying they didn't draw it because if I blew my Navigator's Compass up, I couldn't win. And if my Navigator's Compass stayed on the battlefield, I couldn't lose because the deck just had raw power. So this was not quite as good of a mana base as your four color uh, brew, but I still think it worked. Yeah. This is more, more in the acceptable range here. Yeah, and we're just going to cap this off because I, I know people people want it. They they want to see what a five color deck looks like. So we've got we've got a five color deck here. My hope and strongest attempt at the Sam Black five color special. We didn't quite get there, but this is again base green red, double grow from the ashes, and a Navigator's Compass and a Llanowar Envoy, all to help with fixing for my blue, white, and black splashes, which were two swamps to splash eviscerate eldest reborn and whisper blood liturgist oh, as, as well as a garn of the blood flame one island to splash tatiova and one plains to splash shalai so we're seeing a trend here right as we move from ben's ben and my's two color decks to the two color decks with light splash to maybe a heavier splash to double splashing to triple splashing for the full five color the first thing is we're always base two colors we're not playing these splits of like 
666 mana bases, as the devil's mana bases, people say, right? We are thinking about the deck in terms of these are my two main colors, and then what am I doing to impact my mana base in the least way possible to still get the biggest reach? And when you look at the cards that we're trying to splash, we are splashing powerful things. I mean, I think the only commons that you saw splashed were Eviscerate. Right, as one of what we have is the best removal spell at common. So we're splashing that, and then we're splashing powerful legends at uncommon and rare. We're splashing the eldest reborn. We are only splashing cards where that impact on our mana base is outweighed by how powerful the cards are when they do end up hitting the battlefield. These cards that we think we're going to win the game more often than not when we are able to cast these cards. And we are using fixing that is good more often than not. We're using Grow from the Ashes and we're using Skittering Surveyor. The times when we play Compass is one when we're trying to double splash. So when Navigator's Compass is tapping for multiple colors of mana in our deck, that's maybe when we want to put that in our deck. But more often than not, we're relying on Grow and we're relying on Skittering Surveyor. Right, and important to note that, you know, in my last deck, I also forgot I had a Lana War Envoy, uh, but that's not, that doesn't really count. That was just like, maybe I'll get lucky (laughs) and help out with the mana a little bit. But I had 18 lands in that deck with Navigator's Compass. So real cost to putting Navigator's Compass in my deck to turn on all these other powerful cards. So as we got towards more splashing, more card slots in our deck were devoted towards helping make sure we had good mana and could cast our powerful spells that we were splashing. And not all formats lead to this kind of nonsense. And I feel like, I don't know, I'm more nonsense prone than others because I think I'm taking Surveyor a lot higher. I recently checked my most drafted commons. Surveyor is now my second most drafted common in the set. Ooh, that is impressive. Yeah, it is. It often doesn't line up like that with what you think is the best card to what is your most often drafted card, but it is for now. But I just think like the fixing is there if you prioritize it, but I don't think we're more often than not splashing and affecting our mana base in that way when we have the tools to do it rather than just like jamming two or three off-color lands in our deck. Right. And I think you feel way better about picking the Eldest Reborn as a splash card if you've already got a Skittering Surveyor or if you've already got a Grow from the Ashes. I mean, I'll still do it, but I'll pick it knowing, you know, I I might very well not be able to put it in my deck if I don't see a Skittering Surveyor or a Grow from the Ashes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, What a way to to kick off or to not kick off, to end off with Dominaria by talking about all the fun, like powerful things there are to splash for. (laughs) Yeah, format is great. Format is great. I'm very much looking forward to when there'll be like the flashbacks in in the future. Yeah, I think that's a great place to wrap up the episode. We also have the Dominaria treasure hunt that has been completed, but still going on. Mm -hmm. You're still welcome to submit screenshots for the next couple weeks here, I think. We'll set a hard end date for that soon. And we have set the date for our 15-hour stream. So get those calendars out, get your phones out, mark that. It's going to be July 6th. That's a Friday. So 15 hours of Ben and Ethan coming your way soon. It's going to be yes. Should we just say already that I'll be starting? I think that's probably likely, but I haven't given up yet. I'm going to keep fighting (laughs) for some achievements. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Very exciting episode next week. We are going to have Caleb Durward, the current Vintage Cube Draft Trophy leader, on the episode to talk about all things Cube. Caleb is a Cube powerhouse, and I'm really, really looking forward to getting to pick his brain about how to crush in the Cube queues. Yeah, this is going to be sweet to talk to him. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. If you want to get in touch with me and Ben, you can do so on various mediums. We are on Twitch almost every day, either one of us. It's summertime, Ben's streaming all the time. Twitch.tv slash MrMetronome for him. Twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware for me. You can tweet at us at those handles, Lord Tupperware or Mr. Metronome, or you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited.
If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. If also, if you're not sure about mana bases, come to our Twitch chats, post a link. We'll be happy to take a look at your mana bases or shoot us an email with a screenshot. We'll get back to you. Yeah. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first realized store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.